you know, and it's it's the classic bullshit you see from from people advocating for paganism these days, where they're like, you know, your god died on a stick. You know, it's like, it's like uh, weak, you know, weak, impotent Christians. Five minutes later, the Christians murdered us all. <laughs> it's like, isn't that what you wanted them to do, Pagang? <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we talk about dead people. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, George. Say hi, George. Hi. Hey. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down various members of the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that George and I will do our amateur's best to give a basic account of the major events in the life of a now-dead person and give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is much harder to do, especially today, but we're going to try anyway. So, George, who do we have this week? Well, according to the Holy Scriptures, uh, the talking hot pocket that haunts my dreams, and the voices I hear in my head, I believe we will be covering Wenceslaus I, the legendary Duke of Bohemia. Ah, yes, just in time for Christmas. Like, literally just in time. We're cutting it kind of close on this one. Yeah, well, that's awfully convenient for us. And you know what else is awfully convenient? Stop! the fuck? That's right, I have my Christmas suit on. Look at all these Christmas lights on here. Now I can take Christmas with me wherever I go! What the hell is powering those lights? Do you have a pebble, a pebble bed reactor in your ass? Uh... No, but I do have pure Christmas spirit. Is that what the kids are calling Coke these days? <laughs> you know, I was worried about what kind of weird-ass sketches you had planned for this episode, and apparently my worry was completely justified. Yeah, well, this is virtually the only sketch I could think of. I mean, as you know, we used to go all out with that shit, but now I've gotten lazy since James has left. It just... it doesn't feel quite the same. Yeah, I mean, we actually have good history now. That is that is a difference. So, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is you're, you're not going to have to chase me down in a military helicopter. Like poor James did. You know, that's good because the helicopter is in the shop right now, so... Oh, yeah. You know, so I was, I was worried because, you know, the mechanic charges extra when I needed to do the rush order. So I was hoping we could get through one goddamn episode without it. Yeah, well, maybe next time we'll have the helicopter back. Um, but no helicopters this time around. Yeah, that, that, that's honestly kind of a relief, because I was really hoping to spend Christmas just peacefully at home with my cat, not chasing you down and saving your ass because of some stupid bullshit you got yourself into. Don't worry, I don't even have a home this Christmas, so I'm not at my full power right now. You're literally homeless, aren't you? Yes, it's been established time and again that I am literally a homeless man living in a box. I don't even understand the logistics of this. Can't you just, like, live in the history lab? Well, unfortunately, the history lab is a meme. It doesn't exist, much like this podcast doesn't really exist. I'm just gonna say, that, that, that's a big brain moment right there. Like, this is, this is, that's a little <laughs> too early for that for me. But that notwithstanding, like, just brighten up. It's Christmas. You know, I have to say, that's a very poor choice of words. Stop! Again? The hell are you hiding that? Well... I would spit it in my pockets. It's just my pockets. How did you fit a searchlight in your pocket? I guess it's just the magic of Christmas. This is getting really stupid really fast. You had two weeks and this is the sketch you came up with? 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, it is pretty dumb. So I think it's time to wrap it and head down to the history lab. It's the first thing you've said that I like. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People Christmas Edition. If you hate Christmas or you are Kirk Cameron, please stop listening now. This week on We Talk About Dead People Christmas, we cover the most Christmassy Duke Bohemia ever had and the story of his eventual sainthood. We'll also talk about how this man got a Christmas song written about him, which is just about the highest honor man can bestow upon their own kind. Now, jump in the sleigh and join us in the History Lab. So, George, tell me, what material and ultimately meaningless thing do you want for Christmas? Well, since you've qualified it with material and ultimately meaningless, I can cross off most of the things on my list, like, you know, fulfillment, some vague sense of satisfaction, dare say it, even a sense of belonging or community. So, since I have to cross those off, I don't know, I was thinking of getting myself, like, a kick-ass vest or something. Uh, that's pretty cool. Like, I think it'll help me. What kind be, of a... Something for, like, huh? my cult leader aesthetic, like, with the vest and the big sunglasses and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, the the cult leader aesthetic. So a vest would be, like, I don't know, like a bulletproof vest or something? No, 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 think like the, the guy in Far Cry. Oh, yes, of course. Um... What what is it like again in that? Is it just black or has it got some pattern on it? I don't remember. I just remember it was cool. Okay, that's good enough for me. So yeah, a cool vest. That's what I'm going with. And what about you? What uh what ultimately meaningless material whatever thing do you want for Christmas? I just like a bottle of mineral water. Oh hey, look. I'm having a good Christmas. Oh, you've got the mineral water. Look at that. Yeah. I, have, I have my generic store brand diet orange soda. Zero calories, <laughs> comma, drink freely, exclamation point. Drink freely? <laughs> it says that on the side of the can. Yeah, drink freely, exclamation point. I'd prefer it if it just said fire at will. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Computer, please bring up Wenceslas I of Bohemia. Affirmative, my lord. Nice. So, tell me, Aaron, do we have any idea what this legendary man looked like? I mean, kinda no, because he was born over a thousand years ago, but we do have this statue of him. Well, as a... An academic, well-educated in history, I can tell you that everyone from a thousand years ago basically looked the same. They all had large beards and looked angry and carried axes. So as far as I'm, I'm concerned, we know exactly what he looked like. Yep, yep. And according to this statue in particular, he's thought to have looked exactly like Jesus. He has that big, well-maintained beard you mentioned, flowing locks of hair, and he has a crown on his head. This man is a literal king, or a duke, but a king. We'll get to that later. I mean, basically, same thing. So, yeah. I'm sold. Let's do it. How, uh, how about we kick this thing off with a little bit of discussion of his early life? Let's do exactly that. Okay, so, 
Let's start off with a little of that delicious context we like so much. The year is 9-11, insert joke here. Uh, Bohemia finds itself in a crucial area in its history. And why is that? Well, you guessed it, it's because it was being Christianized. And we talk about that a lot on here, don't we? I mean, I was going to guess it's because they were trying to figure out where to put the Amazon warehouse, but uh, no, I'm, I'm tracking, I'm tracking, keep going. <laughs> well, we've done a lot of, we've actually done a lot of characters recently in this period of history. I chose King Wenceslas because I didn't know where the song came from and I wanted to find out. And I got a lot more than I bargained for. And, but I just want to point out that one of the major themes that we've dealt with in covering uh, this era of history is that Christianization sounds like no big deal, like somebody planted a church somewhere. But back then, Christianization was a phenomenon all on its own. Because the, this region of the world, uh, up to this point in history in particular, was populated by a Celtic nation known as the Boy. Yeah, boy. Uh, yep. <laughs> there are other peoples here, but the Boy Boys are the ones Bohemia, Bohemia, if you please, was named after. Bohemia was named after the boys. There you go. <laughs> Bohemia is for the boys. <laughs> so these people were, you know, predictably pagan, which, if you know anything about pagans, they're always divided on which of their Marvel characters is most powerful. This causes the, uh, and this is, this is nothing new either, but this causes the region's populace to be split up on religious and tribal lines for literal centuries, uh, the land is basically the break room, like Bohemia as a, as a you know, land mass, I guess. It ends up being like a break room for Slavs, Germanic peoples, and other such groups. Uh, it's, it's often uh, occupied. It should be noted that um, these are basically just ethnic distinctions because there really isn't religious discord between uh, pagan groups in the whole Indo-European tradition because these aren't proselytizing religions, you don't try to convert people to your pagan religion, so it's just that you happen to worship these gods with these names if you are a Germanic pagan, these gods with these names if you're a Slavic pagan, these gods with these names if you're a Celtic pagan, but it's not like you're trying to get other people to worship them too, so you're really just talking about different ethnic groups from different branches of the Indo-European peoples fighting each other, and they happen to have different religions, but they are quite patently not fighting about religion. Right, that's a, and that's a really good point, because it's real. when I was researching this, I was like, are they mad at each other because they have different gods? And it really doesn't come down to that. It comes down to more of, you're a Slav, so I hate you. <laughs> Fair. Um, but anyway, anyway, so this region is, it's in constant flux. It's being occupied, deserted, reoccupied, invaded. And this, you know, this is going on since, you know, forever ago, basically. Um, and of course, you know, when you have all these different people groups... And it, it was really hard for me not to call them nations, but I, I was a good boy. I didn't call them nations. Um, this, because all these people are just different and they have different backgrounds, it causes all kinds of friction um, between kingdoms and tribes, what have you. But on the whole, you'll find that these tribes got along for the most part, but not really. It's, it's hard to really say. Um, for these tribes to band together, it seems, and maybe I'm wrong about this, it seems like it usually took some kind of common enemy. Would you say that's fair? Oh yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. And it's, that's not just between different branches of Indo-Europeans, Slavs, Celts, Germanic, etc. It's between branches of those. So for example, you know, with the Tudorberg Forest, 
Arminius was notable because he got all the Germans to stop killing each other to kill Romans together. But within a couple years, they were back to killing each other. So it's not just, you know, between the large linguistic groups, but it's between, you know, hundreds of individual tribal groups that share the same language, the same gods, but are still killing each other. Yeah, that was one thing that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and I actually put down an example here uh, of this whole common enemy phenomenon. Um, there was an early ruler in the area named Marabotus. Have you ever heard of that guy? Of course I have. Okay, I've never heard of him before this, so if you want to fill us in, uh, feel free. But here's what I learned. I learned that he was the king of the Marco Mani, and they were, like, defeated by the Roman Empire in Germany, so he fled to Bohemia and took all his people with him. And it was a good place to be because they were protected by natural barriers such as mountains and dense forests and... Uh, when they were there, they actually made allies with other other Bohemian tribes, sort of helped along by this shared distaste for Rome. Is that is that good enough in a nutshell, or should yeah, I add no, something else? Yeah, no, 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 that 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 works for me. And yeah, the thing that stands out here is it's important to remember that so many of these people are almost wholly pre-urban, so they really can just kind of pick up and go. Like it's hard for us to imagine the degree of movement that was regularly done by peoples in the ancient world who were not urbanized because right now to various extents almost all of us are urbanized like we we have ties to areas and land and places that we are legally required you know legally bound to we can't just be like well we're gonna fuck off 500 miles west now because there are Huns coming. But, like, some, almost all these groups at this point in Central Europe are not urbanized, so they really can just kind of move around. Cool. Well, man, am I glad I picked this period, because I, I mean, full disclosure, I told George before we started, I know, like, virtually nothing about this period of history, so this is all new for me. Uh, and that's kind of how, it, how, how it's been since the beginning of the show. I just kind of had a passing interest in history, but when I really started digging and writing episodes, I found, you know, halfway through the script, I would contradict myself and I'd go back and I'm like, oh, so it was another guy who was named that, or this happened 10 years before this and, you know, constantly modifying. So it's good to have a little, a little, uh, balance from a, somebody who appears to have studied this a lot more than I have. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So throughout the history of this region, as we've established, we see lots of divisions and whatnot preventing these peoples from fully uniting. Sometimes they band together, but most of the time there's just a ton of politicking. And this is where you get the whole meme of marrying your daughter to like a 50-year-old man because he owns a castle someplace and, you know, important or whatever. I mean, that's what um, I did. They're... Yeah. <laughs> Huge tracts of land. Anyway, so... Raids, battles, and often all-out wars often resulted um, if the politicking was not done carefully. And this is just how things were done back then. And this is also why delving too deeply into the history of this region can result in literal brain injuries. Those brain injuries are called... learning. <laughs> not that the government would want you to know that. Anyway, so let's just leave... That generalization there about, you know, the, what the region looks like. And let's get back to 9-11, or slightly before 9-11 in the late 800s. At this time, uh, from what I read, it seemed like Slavic immigrants in Bohemia had organized themselves into, uh, they had organized themselves into what was called Great Moravia. I didn't dig on that. Do you, do you know anything about Great Moravia? No. Okay. Here's what I learned, okay? 
It only lasted as long as its ruler, uh, Svatopluk, was alive. And I know that's not the right uh, pronunciation, but I don't care. Um, because, and it was this great unification of these Slavic people who'd moved in, you know, for one reason or another. Um, and they had this, this guy who was like their figurehead or whatever, and they're like, we're gonna make this thing Great Moravia! And it's like, everything's going along and people are getting united. Um, but the minute he was dead, there was just this power vacuum. And people sort of reverted back to this whole, like, pre-Great Moravia attitude. Um, and so there's just all this strife and infighting, and it, of course, eventually led to the downfall and dispersion of this so-called unified nation, I guess, called Great Moravia. Well, yeah, I mean, and I know it's cliche, but, like, this literally is a tale as old as time. Like, this happens so frequently that it really is just one man's ability to somehow balance legal authority, military power, and personal charisma to run something that just can't really be passed on. I mean, it's the exact same thing that happened to Alexander the Great and countless other people through history, that just somebody has the right balance of those things and are able to do it, but it's not really something that can be brought into continuity. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because in playing Far Cry 5, which if you don't know is about a cult that takes over parts of Mon or a part of Montana, um, I got to thinking about, like, hang on a second, like, the villain in this is is pretty clear-cut, you know, he's, like, killing people or whatever, but the character was so well portrayed, no, no, the, I was the like... the government people are supposed to be the good guys, remember? <laughs> no, but it's like, what I'm saying is, like, the, the element that I detected that was so attractive to this villain as a character was the same element I liked in Bane and Joker and all, not, not the... The Heath Ledger Joker, definitely the Heath Ledger Joker, not the latest one. Um, it was just this charisma, there was just something about him that, that worked. And it's not that they're always villains, but those are the ones I really, really like. So, we saw this here in Great Moravia. The moment Svatopluk was dead, it was all over. The result for this, uh, for the Bohemians, um, the people in that not-quite-demarcated territory just yet, the constant flux of borders, uh, it was not on the whole terrible, and because while they had been incorporated into this Slavic unified state, you might say, they had indeed been exposed to the biggest thing that ever happened to these little tribes in Europe, and would set a very large, very powerful set of wheels into motion. And we mentioned it before, you know what it is, it's Christianity. This new development, uh, you know, the, the sudden influx of this, of this Christian thing, allowed the rise of the, and God forgive me, I'm about to pronounce this wrong, the Premazol dynasty. Is that right? I don't know. I don't know, because Please. I'm assuming some of the letters probably have diacritics or are special characters in however it's oh. written in, you know, in a, in a, one of the, and presumably in the Moravian Czech. Um, so yeah, I have no idea oh. how it's you know how so many of those letters have like weird ass hats and lines and shit attached to them um yeah, yeah. those are actually really important uh <laughs> but yeah so i would just in isolation i have no idea how that's pronounced without knowing like yeah what system it's even coming from you know that's all very interesting but i have to admit i stopped listening after you said die critics so <laughs> <laughs> uh since roger ebert things have just gone downhill Anyway, so this dynasty, the Premazol dynasty, the Pretzel dynasty, whatever, uh, was a new monarchy composed of native Bohemians uh, and this, both Christian and pagan. And the conflict between those two groups was often strong, as you might expect. No, 
uh, nonetheless, now the tribes were all indeed talking, and there was this unifying new lens called Christianity. It was like, basically, hey, you know, say you'll join us, and we can have a conversation, and everybody's saved, and, you know, you can find salvation from your sins, you pagan fuck. Um, but they, people were, these people were just starting to figure out that they had some common enemies. Uh, they, it wasn't just that they were fighting with each other. They had, they discovered through these dialogues, basically, that, oh, hey, we're all fighting the same guys. And the guys they were dealing with at this point, um, were the Hungarians, uh, who were also known as Magyars. Can I, uh, can I jump in for, for a minute here about the, uh, the Christianization? Please. Yeah, so the Christianization, um, well, there, it just, it doesn't just happen because someone who's powerful wants it to that's certainly part of it that if a king converted obviously it's very likely his kingdom's going to end up converting so that's certainly part of it but another thing is that christianity does offer some really good stuff that paganism doesn't really in a coherent form including like a nice afterlife christianity promises you know eternal paradise and most pagan religions in the ancient world they don't really have that like they some have some sort of vague, undefined, like, it probably doesn't suck too badly after you're dead. <laughs> but, like, nothing comes close to the idea of eternal paradise that Christianity has. And so there are, like, real reasons why people would be attracted to it. It's not just a purely political thing, like some of the more cynical modern historians would have you believe. So that's point one. Point two, uh, the people who converted bohemia to christianity were two byzantine missionaries named cyril and methodius have you yes heard? i read about them yes and so this is this is the fun thing so what do you think is a really important development uh, like cultural and social development that is incredibly necessary if you really want to spread a religion and the practice of the religion in the society well my first thought would be you would convert a leader well yeah no but not not like a act but a a social thing that has nothing to do with a religion or anything, but a social force that is necessary for spreading a religion. Charisma? Writing. Writing, writing. Because okay, think, you, tell need me more. To, you know, you have you need to have what do you need to have in a religion like Christianity, unlike paganism, you have scriptures, you have texts that are set, you have liturgy, you have things that are handed down in a defined textual form. And so in societies that are historically pagan barbarian tribes who were transient pre-urbanized they don't really have much of a system of writing some of them have some different levels of primitive systems um like i'm sure people are familiar with like the scandinavian rune systems but you can't really write a book in runes you can express information about things in very very like rigid symbolic form but you can't like translate a thing really in a lot of these basic sort of symbol systems you need a real alphabet you need a real written language and so cyril and methodius actually set about making a alphabet and a written language for the bohemians to be able to write down their language so that they could more easily you know spread christianity because if you can have a written language and you can make the people literate then you can give them shit to read basically um yeah. However, due to various circumstances, the Bohemians don't end up adopting this whole alphabet that was invented literally for them. They just decide, like, after fucking Cyril had been working on this for years, they basically just decide, yeah, you know what, we're just going to go with the Latin alphabet. It's cool. 
<laughs> and so Cyril basically fucks off over to the east and gives this language, this alphabet to the other Slavs he finds. And that is why the alphabet that Slavic languages are mostly written in is Cyrillic because of Cyril. He made this alphabet originally for the Bohemians and they decided they didn't want it. So other Slavs ended up with it. <laughs> I just love that you made that connection. <laughs> and this is just an added bonus of having George on the show as you get shit about language all the time. Yeah, well, you know what? I I, I love bad language, so. Ha! <laughs> um so anyway, what I was what I was getting at um was that these these groups are kind of being united and one of the things that we've discovered as in the past is that the thing that helps best unite them is common enemies. They were all dealing with the Hungarians. And they began to discover uh, that while working together, they could actually, here's a concept, do more to meet the interests of all their individual peoples. And once the uniting glue of Christianity and, you know, as, as uh, George pointed out, the uh, uniting glue of text began to set, these separate peoples began securing their lands, working together, putting aside their, their wars and their battles and shit. They put aside all of that to secure their lands from the foreign hordes and began making alliance with, uh, alliances with other Christian elements, including eventually the Holy Roman Empire in the 950s. Not sure if I said that right, but, you know, what yep. the hell. And fun fact, Holy Roman Empire is, of course, the direct descendant of that whole Frankish kingdom we were talking about with the Charles the Hammer episode. That's Beautiful. The, that's that kingdom that is now called the Holy Roman Empire by this time. Great. Man, I'm glad you're pointing all this shit out, because this has helped me make connections. So anyway, these new unions gave Bohemia the clout, well, and others, the clout that they needed to fight off the Hungarians, and like I said, also called the Magyars. Um, and this culminated in the Battle of Lechfeld, which I hope I pronounced that right, but this was actually a series of battles between the kingdoms of uh, Western Europe and the Magyars. And the result of this was the complete and utter defeat of Hungarian forces, giving Bohemia and others the time and room that they needed to grow. Um, Bohemia itself growing into an autonomous state within the Holy Roman Empire at a later date. Uh, and the defeat of the Hungarians was no small deal. Uh, there was a meme back then that went as follows. Uh, George, would you like to read this? Asagitus Hungarorum Libra nos Domine. Would you mind translating it? Don't even use the one I put in there. Just translate it. Um, from the spears of the Hungarians, free us, O Lord. <laughs> yeah, so this was this is what people were saying. Just free us from the spears of the Hungarians, O Lord. And finally it was over, and a huge veil of fear had been lifted from the land, and Bohemia and others, but especially Bohemia, because that's what we're talking about today, finally had a chance to prosper. Which... Hooray! A Yay. happy ending for, for Bohemia. <laughs> round of applause for Bohemia. <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. Yay! But we're not going to talk about the happy ending today. We don't um, really do that today on this we're, show. Yeah, we don't really... This isn't that kind of show. You're going to have to find another, another massage therapist. So today we're going to talk about this infighting and the division that kept European people from working together toward a common good. And then we're going to talk about a new kind of glue that's stronger than the craggle. Do you get what? it? You didn't see the Lego movie. No, no, <laughs> no, I didn't actually. So the evil weapon of the evil villain is is uh, called the craggle. 
And all it is is it's crazy glue, but some of the letters got scratched off or covered up or something, so it just says craggle. <laughs> okay, that actually sounds funny. <laughs> it is funny. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk about this division, so we're going to have to go back a few years and set ourselves up just before Europe really, really Christianized. And this is a Bohemia that existed, uh, or I should say this Bohemia that existed prior to all this unification and Christianization was a very different place. It was under the rule of several dukes during an era when our internal conflict within Bohemia and other European peoples like the Bavarians and the Saxons was actually a bigger problem than the Hungarians. These dukes actually had a major break in major conflict from outside powers for several decades. And during that break, they chose to fight amongst one another. It was an absolutely chaotic era. Yeah, that and sounds it was about this... par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, this, it was this chaotic era where we finally run into the good King Wenceslaus. I see what you did there. Foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, also, uh, I, I don't even know how to pronounce Wenceslaus. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, Wenceslaus. Okay, because in our modernized stuff, we usually review, remove the U, so it's Wenceslaus, but it's Wenceslaus. That's how I'm going to say it. So, <clears throat> Wenceslaus's parents were Duke Vratislaus of Prague and a pagan Havelian princess named Drachemira of Stodor. <laughs> Stodor, whatever. And Vratislaus. I have no idea where that is. Stodor, yeah. uh, I I wish I knew, but it was in Monty Python and the Holy Grail at some point. So, that's not even a joke. That's the only reason I recognized that name when I saw it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's like the wild, evil duck of Stodor or something like that. So anyway, it's what's interesting about this is that Vratislaus, the Duke of Prague, is really not all that interesting. Um, he fought the Hungarians and, you know, he was involved in certain alliances, but his accomplishment list was not very long because he honestly didn't live very long. But his wife, Drahamira, this pagan princess, turned out to be a major cornerstone in this story, and I was not expecting it. So, she married Vratislaus in 906. Uh, it was a diplomatic marriage to try and unite two different regions. Um, I mean, those are the, the best had... marriages, let's be real. Right. And these two had six children together. They had four daughters and two sons. And obviously the girls we don't know much about because they literally can't be kings, so not going to be in the history books. Uh, so one became a nun, and another married a bohemian nobleman, uh, which was, you know, that's pretty good, you know, all things considered. And the other two, I just don't know. But what we want to talk about, or who we want to talk about in this case are the two sons who were born to Duke Vratislaus and Drahomora. These two sons were named Wenceslaus and Boleslaus. Wenceslaus was the elder son, and as established, was born in the year 911. Ha ha ha. The boys, growing up in the Wonderland castle they had been lucky enough to respawn in, were taught the Christian faith from an early age. Everyone was very enthusiastic about this, especially their grandmother on their father's side, a woman named Ludmilla, who read psalms to the boys and taught them the way of Kirk Cameron and Bible Man. She was. So I'm, I'm guessing VeggieTales here, right? Yep, VeggieTales, straight up. She's like, hey, watch this tape, and it's like, you know, the, the Josh and the Big Wall or whatever. 
But this woman, Ludmilla, was by all accounts a very calm and very pious woman who raised the boys right, while Vratislaus and Drachemira ruled their duchy and dealt with the other dukes and duchesses. That is, until Vratislaus died fighting Hungarians in 921. Which meant that uh, the next in line for the job for the Duke of Prague was Wenceslaus. And the problem was, he wasn't old enough to do it yet. This meant that the job of Regent of Prague is now open. And Ooh. just so you know, if, if you don't know what a Regent is, that's just somebody who takes care of matters while the new heir grows up, basically. And you might think a position like that would go to, you know, the, the wife of the Duke, right? It would go to Drahmira, and that she would inherit the regency and maintain power until her sons were old enough to rule. But the regency didn't actually go to this pagan Havelian princess. It actually went to Ludmilla. Grandma. A woman who pissed off Drahmira more than anyone else in the world. And... Oh. I can sense some, yeah. some family feud coming on. Uh, it gets pretty bad. So, <clears throat> this uh, this development has Drahomora seething. Because even before Ludmilla took the regency, Drahomira had a problem with how Ludmilla was bringing up her sons while she was away politicking with her now-dead husband. She would go away and come back, or even be in the castle, but just too busy to pay attention. Uh, and she would notice that the boys were really into the whole Christianity thing. And she especially had a problem with her eldest, our boy Wenceslaus, who had fallen under Ludmilla's influence. Very strongly. They were like best buds. They were sharing Bible verses on Facebook. I mean, it was pretty cute. Let's I'll Aaron, just be honest. Aaron, pr Protestants didn't exist yet. Well, all right. <laughs> uh, so... Drahomira notices that Wenceslaus especially is really, really into this, and she, uh, Drahomira is beginning to feel that Ludmilla is making the boy too soft, and outright accused her of trying to turn her son into a monk rather than a prince and eventual king, right? Uh, and because Wenceslaus, uh, the first, I'm sorry, because Wenceslaus is the first heir to the throne, Accusing Grandma of undermining political power through the wussification of the heir was pretty serious, as you might imagine. Furthermore, Drahomira, feeling that Wenceslaus may already be lost to what she saw as a softening ideology in the face of the cold pagan ancestors, well, she decided to focus her efforts on the younger Boleslaus, uh, who was not as enamored with Ludmilla, and... She ended up teaching uh, Boleslaus, <laughs> Boleslaus, um, she ended up teaching him to be much more brutal than his older brother Wenceslaus. And she takes this very, very seriously. And honestly, I tried to get into her shoes, and it's like, and my, here's my, my thought is like, really, who can blame her if she really thinks that her, the heir to the throne is going to be a, you know, a pathetic, you know, little monk? You know, she's, from her perspective, you can't really have a pussy running things when there are Hungarians out there. I mean, true. But on the other hand, as we've seen, like, um, you know, the wussification of Christianity hadn't really happened yet. Like, you know, Charles the frickin' Hammer, you know, Clovis. Like, these uh, these weren't exactly, uh, you know, wimps. Right, which is why I, my belief is that she had a rather undeveloped view of Christianity which at is that time. Which is very... Very likely, since, you know, it's pretty new to uh, to the region, so. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's the classic bullshit you see from, from people advocating for paganism these days, where they're like, you know, your god died on a stick, you know? It's like, it's like uh, weak, you know, weak, impotent Christians. Five minutes later, the Christians murdered us all. <laughs> it's like, isn't that what you wanted them to do, pay gang? <laughs> all right, so I just wanted to give the other side, my, you know, my take on what you might be thinking. So, when you piss off a pagan princess who is living in a time... And in a culture where people are killing each other all over the place, you'd better look out. You really missed an opportunity there to say living in a society. <laughs> We're living in a society, or not, as this case may be. So, in an age where the continued existence of your entire society could depend on the strength or weakness of one man, having a son raised with too much morality and not enough brutality is a genuine worry one from the pagan uh, persuasion might have. Because pagans don't play games with thrones, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's for all the Game of Thrones <laughs> watchers. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, Ludmilla, knowing that she's probably in dire danger, abandons the Regency and nopes the fuck out of Prague. And she heads for what's called the, uh, the Tetan Castle. Probably not pronounced right, but it looks like Tetanus to me. So, she's got she's going there to flee Drahomira's wrath against this... Uh, her supposedly wussifying Christian influence. But Drahamira sent her two henchmen, uh, Tana and Gaman, after her. And you know, you know, it's a, whenever, you know what they say, you always want a Tana Gaman. I, I was I gonna know. say those sound like orc names, but okay. They are. They're definitely orcs. So they're after her. And on September 16th or 15th, I couldn't, I, there were conflicting dates, but the, uh, the celebration for this event was on the 16th, I believe. Uh, in 921, Ludmilla was hunted down in the castle that she was hiding in and strangled to death with her own veil. Which, I mean, the veil was a, it was a religious symbol, right? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't know, I'm a Protestant. Uh, traditionally, um, i.e. up until this aberration we know is the modern world um during liturgy women usually uh just wore a simple veil over their hair so we're not we're not talking like a burqa or hijab or something it's just sort of a simple veil that goes over their hair hair you still see this in more traditional uh traditionally minded christian congregations yeah i've seen i've seen it myself in person when i've gone to visit uh catholic churches um <clears throat> but this is a uh, this is obviously some kind of a symbolic murder to kill a woman with her own veil um well, that just seems to me to be at least symbolic. Hold on, I'm going to take a drink. Say something interesting. Um. Or don't. That's cool, too. <laughs> so, let's carry on. Ludmilla was canonized and made a saint almost immediately after this, and she is the patron saint of Bohemia. Converts, widows, and problems with in-laws. Problems oh, with in-laws. I, I can kind of see where that, why that one... Yeah, that, that that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. That's an important one. Yeah. <laughs> so, <coughs> geez. So Drahamira takes over the regency, which is really bad for the Christian dukes of Bohemia. Why is that? Because they love Christianity, of course. And on top of it, they really love Wenceslaus, who 
you know, they just sort of see us this kid getting pushed around by his pagan mother. <laughs> Pagang. And there's... But there's nothing they can... Or there's... They can... My god. They are looking at this and they're like, there's nothing this kid can do. And this is not good for anybody. And on top of it, they were fully aware that she had plans to crack down on Christians in, in her duchy. So one of these dukes who was watching this happened, uh, or happen was a, a guy named Arnulf of Bavaria. And this is a man who is known for having a ton of energy and never being afraid of a fight. But he was also an old friend of Wenceslaus's late father. Arnulf's own father was killed by Hungarians in the Battle of Pressburg, just as Wenceslaus's father was killed by Hungarians. Um, but Arnulf's father, you know, when Arnulf's father died, Arnulf was old enough to just take power. So he did. And Arnulf himself was initially loved by the local populace, mainly because he took a no-nonsense and true-to-form combative attitude toward, any, or attitude toward anything that smelled like Hungarian influence or shenanigans. The bad news is, Arnulf earned the nickname Arnulf the Bad. Because during the constant raids that the Hungarians were perpetrating, uh, he basically ran out of money for defense. And in desperation uh, to find the money he needed to defend his land, he ran a major confiscation campaign to seize wealth from monasteries and churches. This money did indeed end up helping him to preserve his fiefdom, or his duchy or whatever, but the monks didn't like it, and they were the ones right in the history. <laughs> quite literally. So, like, quite literally. Like physically, they were there with the manuscripts writing, so... Yep. Like, he took my candlestick. He's Arnulf the Bad now. <laughs> um, but also, um, before you cry bias also, just wait a little bit. There are definitely other reasons for him being labeled Arnulf the Bad. But Arnulf the Bad had made a pact with Vratislaus, which, if you remember, was Wenceslaus's father, uh, years before. During Vratislaus's life, the Saxons had been a major problem for both Arnulf and Vratislaus. This led them to forge an alliance in fire and steel to stand up against the Saxons. And the Saxons, led by the legendary King Henry the Fowler, uh, were indeed a constant problem. But Arnulf seemed to feel like this Drahamira character in Prague might as well be a bigger threat than a Saxon or a Hungarian or a Saxon and a Hungarian all rolled into one. Seeing her behavior within the Regency, he mobilized his forces to come to the rescue. Arnulf ended up raiding Drahmira's little duchy, honoring the alliance that he had made with Wenceslaus's father uh, to protect his land from all elements of evil or whatever. Uh, and he was also trying to restore some of his street cred he'd lost with the other Christian dukes of, Bo of Bohemia, you know, because of all of his confiscations of church property and things like that. Kind of doesn't look great. Kind of doesn't look great. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but... So, uh, where was I? Where was I? I lost my spot! Okay, I found it. So, this little raid on her little duchy pissed Drahamira off so much that she began to take vengeful measures against the spread of Christianity. You see, Drahamira wanted to bring Bohemia back to ye olden days when the pagans ruled things and everyone knew magic. And no one could she read. Saw this, and no one could read. <laughs> she saw this new Christianity thing as a threat to Bohemian identity and was not a fan of the Holy Roman Empire or anything like it that was spawning up around her all over the place. In fact, there were rumors that began to go around in the face of her behavior and her distaste for Christianity 
that she had signed a pact with the devil to keep the church from spreading its influence using all of her means necessary. That's pretty, Which uh, is, that's pretty extreme. <laughs> I know, she's even got a villain name, Drahamira. <laughs> that, that actually, that does sound like a villain name, doesn't it? Yep, yep, she lives up to the name. So, unfortunately for Drahamira, she had less than a year to do this. Um, because very soon, Wenceslaus would come to come of age and take the throne. She had been trying to reverse uh, Christianity, and um, she wanted to get rid of it, particularly in Wenceslaus, uh, because, you know, Ludmilla had put it there. Um, but for some reason, he was kind of resistant to, like, what she thought. And I'm not sure, I can't say, but I think it might have had something to do with the fact that she killed his beloved grandmother and best friend who introduced him to a religion that he deeply valued. I can't really say for sure if that's the reason he was resistant to her influence. I don't know, that, that hardly seems likely. I mean, what's a little grandmother murder between estranged parent and children? <laughs> it's par for the course. Either way, time runs out uh, before Wenceslaus takes the throne, and Drahamira is officially removed from the regency, and Wenceslaus officially ascends the throne, or at least that's what officially was supposed to happen. But Drahamira, now well known as a cruel and wicked ruler, doesn't exactly make it easy for Wenceslaus to claim what is rightfully his, and this forces Wenceslaus to overthrow her and take the power back. Wenceslaus joins forces with Christian nobles in Bohemia and rebelled openly against Drahamira. And because the only books I could find that were detailed enough about this were all in uh, German or some other such fake language, um, I actually don't know how much fighting was involved, but I do know that at the end of it, Drahamira had to give in and was imprisoned. And after imprisoning her, Wenceslaus exiles her from the duchy, which, I gotta say, that's pretty merciful. Uh, you might, she might have uh, his Christian ethic to thank for that. Yeah, I've, I've noticed a theme here. We keep doing these, like, merciful people. If you notice that on the show, we keep getting these, like, strangely merciful rulers. Yeah, I mean, now that we've gone into this era pretty hard for a while now, um, I've started to notice it, and... You know, this is the part where I say, sometimes it comes back to bite him in the ass. Most of the time it seems to pay off, but sometimes it seems to come back. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that. Well, yeah, I mean, you had the repeated issues that, you know, um, Charles Martel had with people who, who he kept forgiving. Yeah, it's true. Um, but I guess <laughs> all, this is, all this is to say that um, perhaps our paternalistic view towards this whole time period as the dark ages might say a good deal more about us than it does about those ages big think stop making my brain hurt <laughs> so um let's see here so she's exiled and with drahmira finally gone good duke wenceslas starts to reverse many of her policies and leadership decisions that were done in his name and his people began to adore him for it. Um, even the pagans liked him, because he was at least wasn't being a cruel bastard. But remember that Wenceslaus has a younger brother. And he's under the influence of Drahamira. And he doesn't want to do it this way. He wants he still wants to preserve or go back to the pagan ways. Um, 
And the nobles that helped Wenceslaus overthrow Drahmira were probably rightfully worried, actually definitely rightfully worried, that Boleslaus might rise up against this new duke. Um, both Wenceslaus and Boleslaus were still young and hot-headed, so the nobles decided that the best way forward was to give them each rightful rule of their own part of the land. And they didn't give Boleslaus a small portion. It was virtually half between the two, even though, technically, Boleslaus wasn't up to bat. That does seem overly generous. You know, you know. And it will prove to be a, a, a major mistake on the part of these nobles, but I don't know what you expect from elites. <clears throat> Meanwhile, as all this drama is unfolding, the rest of Bohemia is still dealing with the Hungarians. And don't get me wrong, like, it's, it's not like the Hungarians are an insignificant problem. Um, but they're also not the only people interested in conquering, uh, or, you know, basically ruling over Bohemia. Remember that we also have the Saxons and the Franks leading raids and campaigns as well, and, you know, other smaller tribes and groups of people causing problems. But the big threat at this point was the Saxons, and they were becoming quite a threat, uh, all on their own. And King Henry the Fowler, was, uh, who we've heard of before, was back in town, and he was becoming very bad news for everything Bohemia. And Wenceslaus was aware of this, and he, you know, in this moment of, of real trial, he attempted to reforge the alliance his father had made with Arnulf the Bad, and basically try to resist King Henry, who was marching into Bohemian territory. But it turns out that this Arnulf the Bad really, really was bad, because, like, eight years earlier, he had broken the pact and made friends with King Henry in, 19, in 921. I knew I was going to do 1921. Damn it. But anyway. Uh, yes, right after the First World War. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that a guy named Arnulf the Bad switched sides, but he straight up joined the Saxons to aid them in invading Bohemia. Imagine my shock. And in a sudden attack in 929, Arnulf and King Henry marched on Prague and laid siege. And by laid siege, I mean they just sort of showed up and forced Wenceslaus's hand. Wenceslaus was unprepared for this attack and was vastly outmanned. And he, his, basically his way out of this was he had to resume paying an old tribute to the Saxons that he had stopped paying on principle when he found out that Arnulf had turned to the Saxon side. So, at the end of this, basically, they're after this guy for money. And once this loss is right... Could have gone worse. Like, yeah, they could have destroyed everything, so... Well, what's interesting, interesting um, is that the whole reasons the Saxons had gone on this violent uh, expedition to begin with was because they needed to pay their tribute to the Hungarians. Because they were paying tribute to the Hungarians to not invade their lands. Um, and the Saxons, without tribute from Prague, would literally not be able to pay their bill to the Magyars. The circle so, of life. I know, it's the circle of life. Um, everyone's loan sharking on each other. And at the top is really just the person with the most people and the best weapons. So, agreeing to resume tribute, Wenceslaus effectively prevented a war with the Saxons and preserved his duchy from the horrors of war for a little longer. And this is where we are. We have Wenceslaus paying tribute to keep the mean old Saxons from invading, which is a bad look in what amounts to a 
until recently, pagan warrior culture. Um, but his interest, at least according to the mythos that came up surrounding Wenceslaus, was that he just wanted to prevent bloodshed. Um, which, at least on paper, is a moral position, right? Yeah, but I mean, now we're run. Yeah, I mean, but now we're running into that... We're obviously just running directly into the question that Drahamira had been asking all this time. Does Did avoiding bloodshed by paying tribute mean that Wenceslaus was wussified by his Christian grandmother? Well, we'll have to see. During his rule, instead of focusing on the defense of his lands, Wenceslaus ended up spending most of his time on the Christianization of Bohemia. And he did this by improving infrastructure, bringing in um, essentially new talent to, to work on, um, you know, basically building, you know, what everyone was after then, which was Christendom. And this involved bringing in new priests from Germany who taught the Latin Mass to the laity, uh, which meant they abandoned the old Slavic Mass, but it would at least be in union with other uh, Christian peoples at this time, all speaking, doing the Latin Mass. And he was also responsible for the foundation of the St. Vitus Cathedral, which still exists today, and it's absolutely gorgeous, even by cathedral standards. In fact, have you seen pictures of it? I have seen pictures of it. It's quite remarkable. Yeah, it's crazy nice. So, if you want to see some pretty art, go look up the uh, St. Vitus C Cathedral. But... While uh, Wenceslaus was doing his good King Wenceslaus stuff, you know, loved by the people, he's, you know, and we'll get into more of the stuff he did later. His younger brother, Boleslaus, influenced by Drahamira, is watching. And so are the other nobles of Bohemia. And they're not happy that this little duke is submitting to the Saxons as they see it, instead of fighting them. They want him to stand up and act like a duke, damn it. But there's all these stories going around about how Wenceslaus is just being too good of a guy. It was said that every single night he would rise from his bed and go from church to church to give his wealth to widows, orphans, and the sick. And it was becoming said that he was not a prince, but, quote, the father of all the wretched. I'm starting to see the Christmas connection. I don't know about you. Wow, imagine having the government care about you. I know, right? It's kind of crazy. Um, no wonder he was loved by the people, and no wonder he went down in history as, as you know, a saint, literally. <laughs> as you said, um, you know, once if you get the Christmas song about you, that's when you know you've made it. Yep, you know, you know, you're done. You can just throw in the, you can just quit right then. Um, so yeah, he's the father of all the wretched, and it was also becoming said that Wenceslaus had pledged his eternal chastity to God, which. You know, when you start declaring yourself the Eternal Virgin, I'm not saying you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> but what I am saying is you will have a different set of problems than somebody who declares themselves an Eternal Chad. I mean, you may uh, have 99 problems, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey, he still has a bitch as a problem. It's his, it's his Drahamira. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, he, yeah, even he yeah. does a bitch is, in fact, one. Damn it. <laughs> So anyway, these pledges of celibacy, these just faithful acts of mercy toward the poor and the disaffected, these are good things if you're a monk. And if you're a king. But most people just see you as a monk at this time. Because remember, he's in command of the defense of, your, of this duchy. And when you're thinking about literal uh, questions of you know, further existence... 
you know, you start to wonder, well, who do you want defending you? A monk or a warrior? And nobody can seem to, nobody can seem to see that you could have a warrior monk. That's not impossible. <laughs> I mean, that um, is a thing you get later. And, uh, well, that's something we should talk about on the show sometime. Oh, man, I think that's a discussion you should lead. I um, agree. <laughs> yeah, because I'd fuck it up, wouldn't I? <laughs> I um, mean, probably. So anyway, Wenceslaus is getting a reputation as being a holy man. He's a deeply moral man. He's pious as all hell. Um, and there's just, there are these outright legends that may not even be legends, but they're considered legends. There's these legends cementing this saintly mythos going around, including one that I wanted to share about some count who uh, rose up against Wenceslaus and marched on Prague. And Wenceslaus, on hearing of this Count Radislas, as he was ca uh, called, upon hearing of his intent, uh, Wenceslaus sent a messenger out to offer terms of peace. Well, as predicted, Radislaus saw this as an act of cowardice and marched on anyway, determined to take down this merciful monk of a man. And upon reaching Prague, it was said that Radislaus and Wenceslaus faced off their armies, but Wenceslaus stepped out before his men and demanded that Radislaus face him in single combat in order to preserve the lives of the men. Which is just fucking saintly. <laughs> um, so Radislaus starts toward Wenceslaus in a rage, drawing his sword or his battle axe or whatever the hell he had. But as soon as he approached, he saw a pair of angels before him, and the angels basically just told him to fuck off. Um, but their voices were so powerful that he fell off his horse, and from the ground he crawled to Wenceslaus's feet and begged for pardon. And Wenceslaus, of course, being a bro, forgave him. And this is all according to the legend. Uh, so Wenceslaus definitely bought the extra DLC, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> like you know you don't you don't get those in the base game. Yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta pay up to get angels on your side. Um So whatever the case, and whether all this was true or all false, these are legends that are getting around, and these legends these legends and myths have two a twofold outcome. One, to some people, this says that oh my god, he's a pushover. Like he's a pushover. And he's not worried about, you know, all this. But the other one is that he's a saint. So, people are divided on this. And I believe, I, I would guess at least, that the laity loved this guy. And that the nobles were intimidated by his piety. And also worried that, you know, a guy that's so pious and holy might actually be a danger to the continued existence of Bohemia as a whole. Because if he's so merciful or whatever, what's to stop him from just forgiving the Hungarians? So there's these whispers of impending doom circulating the courts of Bohemia's rulers. And in the meantime, Boleslaus, who is st still, of course, under the influence of Drahomira, stirs the pot. And people begin to wonder, these nobles begin to wonder, had Drahomira been right? Was this whole Christianity thing going to just make all of Be Bohemia too good to even survive in this warlike world? Was virtue actually just weakness masquerading as piety? In a dog-eat-dog -dog world, this was a risk that the nobles would not take. And it was soon decided that if nothing was done about this good King Wenceslaus, it would be curtains for the whole operation. And Brolesaus was the perfect figurehead for this new conspiracy against Wenceslaus. Did I say Brolesaus again? Boleslaus. 
Um, so they actually approached him in secret, and make no mistake, he was fully aware of why they were coming to him. So I dramatized this a little. So just imagine with me, if you will. We're oh, in a crook. Do I get to be someone? What? Do I get to be someone? Uh, you can be Boleslaus. Okay. How about that? Okay, sounds good. Okay. You get two lines, all right? So imagine with me, imagine with me, if you will. You're in a crooked tower on a stormy night, and a group of cloaked men are climbing their way up the spiral staircase to the chambers of the one they seek for help. The door creaks open, and a fire is roaring in the hearth. Hearth? Hearth? Hearth. Whatever. And a dark silhouette looks out on the land. b b bolus Slaus? One noble whispers. I know why you're here. A dark voice answers. <laughs> Lightning flashes. The silhouette turns to face these cloaked men. Say no more. It will be done. And fade to black. And I have another dramatization because I wanted to make this at least slightly interesting. Um, so the next morning, Wenceslaus wakes up to another beautiful day. He stretches and yawns and says, Gee, Willikers, what a great dream I was having. But no dream is better than waking your waking life when you've got a friend in Jesus. And he leaps from his bed and opens the shutters. Outside, there are cartoon birds singing. Everyone in the street is dancing their way through their jobs. The sun is literally a golden face smiling down upon the realm. And you can be the peasant here, okay? Excellent. Good morning, Mr. Peasant, shouts Wenceslas from his window. Good morning, sir, the peasant shouts back. It sure is a great day to be a Christian. That it is, my peasant friend. That it is. And with that, Wenceslaus smiles good-naturedly and bandages a squirrel's broken leg with one hand and feeds a tiny puppy with the other. After completing his morning routine, Wenceslaus leaves his home, ready to embark on another beautiful adventure with the Lord Jesus Christ. He crosses himself and looks up, smiling. A smile only true peace can produce. It really is a great day to be a soldier in the Lord's army. And when he returns his gaze from the heavens and sets his eyes on the church he's walking toward for mass, he sees a shadowy figure step into his path. Boleslaus? says Wenceslaus. Have you, have you come to join me for mass? Have you at last put aside our mother's heathen ways? But Boleslaus says nothing. But Boleslaus, is everything all right? This is where the dramatization ends. Boleslaus invited Wenceslaus to the feast of St. Cosmas and Damien in the tower of Stara Boleslav, which was, um, or the town of Stara Boleslav, which was Boleslaus's town, go figure. And Wenceslaus had come to this feast to celebrate Mass. But when he arrived at the door to the church, Boleslaus and three other conspirators were there, and they attacked him. The nobleman stabbed him repeatedly with knives, and as he fell to his knees, feeling what I'm sure was total horror and confusion, Boleslaus, his own brother, personally drove a lance directly through Wenceslaus's torso. There's a, there's something of a of a uh, of a cursed moment that happens, or a cursed thing that happens on this very day, um, because on that very same day, one of Boleslaus's sons was born. The heir was born. And he was named 
Strachkvas, which literally means a dreadful feast. And he was named that because Wenceslaus had been coming to celebrate a feast, and it ended up being dreadful. Got dark pretty fast, didn't it? Yeah, that that I, I wasn't prepared for that transition from our like happy Veggie Tales moment. Yeah, well, I just I I put it that way because I think that's how people like Boleslaus see it. Um, oh, he's just he's he's weak. He's pathetic. He's living in a dream world. You know, he's nice, and you know, if you if you forgive people, they'll just take advantage of you and come back and you know take you for all your worth. And then, you know, he I think that's how Boleslaus saw his brother. And I think that's how Drahamira saw Ludmilla. Um, and I think it's obvious in the way that uh they killed him on the way to mass. And they killed Ludmilla with her own with her own um her own what I forget what it's called, I can't think of the word right now. Veil. Her own veil. It's a it's a real, real hatred for this. Um, and, well, it's well, pretty if dark. Whole, if the whole Bohemia thing doesn't work out, I'm sure the British army is hiring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a nice stroke of levity there. Um, so yeah, the, while, uh, the noblemen were the ones who stabbed Wenceslaus first, Boleslaus was the man who deserved the killing blow. Um, and Wenceslaus, of course, died there in the street. And Boleslaus, having just proved what he would do for power, took the throne in Prague. And no one was going to mess with him. It was just as uh, Drahamira had done with Ludmilla. He had learned well uh, from this ethic of seize power by violent means. And now that, he had to be, now that he had done what all the nobles believed needed to be done to preserve Bohemia, it was time for him to show the world what a true Duke of Bohemia unshackled by uh, this new Christian faith, was capable of. Boleslaus immediately ended all tribute to the Saxons, and the result of this was war. Bloody, stagnant, stubborn war. Boleslaus and the Saxons traded blows for 15 years, all the way up to 950, when the Saxons finally besieged a castle that his son owned. This scared Boleslaus enough to get him to sign a treaty to end the war. And after all that, 15 years of war, blood, carnage, and death, he ended up paying that tribute again anyway. God Five years it. later, I know. <laughs> Did you have something you want to say more than that? No, just or... after all that. Yeah, it will suffice, won't it? God damn it. So five years later, we reach the aforementioned Battle of, Le of Lechfield, Lechfield, Lechfeld. Oh my god. Boleslaus did not directly engage with the Magyars or the Hungarians during the conflict, um, at least not until the battle was over. After, after this battle, the, uh, after the Magyars were defeated, they attempted to sort of relocate slash invade Bohemia, but Boleslaus actually, you know, being the powerful man and that he was he just wiped the floor with them they were gone um no man left alive if they could if they could manage it and now that these hungarians were finally completely defeated you know with the victory belonging to um those who fought in the battle of lechfeld um and the ultimate destruction belonging to boleslaus 
uh, both the Saxons and the Bohemians were able to enjoy the same benefit of not having to put up tribute all the time to prevent war. So they became allies and stopped interfering with one another for the time being, at least uh, on the same scale as before. And Bohemia grew under Boleslaus, and the lands that had been occupied for years by foreign armies were freed and began to grow again. Boleslaus secured trade routes from Prague all the way to Kiev and married his daughter to a Polish prince in order to bind the regions together and prevent more infighting. And during this time, he was beginning to struggle morally with what he had done to Wenceslaus. And in the interest of eventually defeating Bohemia's Hungarian uh, oppressors alongside their neighboring countries and ushering in, in the interest of ushering in a new age of internal peace, he himself had no internal peace. He really felt that he had committed a sin so terrible that it could not be forgiven and it haunted him for the rest of his life, as you might imagine. I mean, killing your brother is kind of a big deal. It's pretty bad, right? Eventually, Boleslaus would indeed seek repentance within the Christian church itself in order to find this peace. He made a vow that his son, or at least one of them, would become a clergyman, and he spent the rest of his life devoted to Christianity and did all he could to spread it to new lands. But had he done the right thing? I mean, this is the question that we go back to with Drahamira's cold and calculating view of how morality could be abused by others and how you had to avoid being moral and you had to have that stone face no matter what you were doing because the world was a dangerous place and granting anyone mercy was just being naive. So Drahimira was obviously pissed that Boleslaus had converted to Christianity despite her best efforts and had in fact, after murdering his brother for the throne, done more to spread Christianity in Europe than Wenceslaus had ever done. Marrying his daughter off to a Polish prince ensured the further spread of Christianity to Poland. And um, as, as uh, Drahamira grew older, she had fewer and fewer friends. I mean, that's not exactly she... surprising from what we've seen of her personality. Exactly. And, you know, because the, the, the cold pagans are sort of changing their ways. They're, they're adopting this new, you know, this new... Uh, societal glue that also one gives people a a different kind of moral structure that involves things like mercy um, and also is giving people hope you know and she's still just bitterly hold on hold on hold on and eventually she had no friends at all and as she grew older she had fewer and fewer places to stay she was couch surfing between castles in her later life and she decided in the end to leave Prague altogether, and eventually she just vanishes from the historical record. Because she stopped having contact with anybody. Um, and the legend is that as she was taking a carriage out of the city, the bells rang for prayer. And the servant driving the carriage, her last servant, um, who was a Christian, immediately stopped the carriage and went into the church for prayer. And Rahamira, sulking, heard a rumbling noise. And that's when a hellmouth opened beneath her carriage and swallowed the entire thing with her inside. And when the servant returned from prayer, he gazed into the chasm and saw a passageway to hell. Nobody wanted to go in and search for her there. So presumably, the hellmouth was bricked over and nobody ever said a word again. <laughs> wow, imagine getting vibe-checked by God. Yeah. <laughs> just straight up, the, a hole opens beneath you and you fall in. And just, nope, nope, bye! Um... 
It is also said these days that you can see a fiery carriage pulled by hellish horses at midnight in this part of the city, but this whole area is under complete government video surveillance and nary a flaming wagon has ever been seen. Or that's what the government wants you to think. <laughs> there really is a flaming hell horse uh, flying all over Prague. So, to wrap this up, Wenceslaus was considered a martyr and was honored with sainthood almost immediately after he was murdered. And because he was a hero of the people, um, his murder was seen as a, an abhorrent violation of this new Christian ethic. Um, which is why he was sainted immediately, which is why people, you know, revered him through the song, which was only, well, relatively recently translated into English. Um, the, uh, the Holy Roman Empire would later, uh, long after he was dead, but they would later confer him the regal title, and they made him an official king. And that's where we got the song, Good King Wenceslaus. And it's not the good Duke Wenceslaus, it's good King Wenceslaus. Yeah, because eventually this whole area is part of the Holy Roman Empire, so they can kind of retroactively change titles like that. Because Duke is an incredibly ambiguous title, because just about anybody who exercises authority is technically a Duke. Because Duke is just um, our English version of Latin word Dukes, which is just means the one who leads so a lot of people who are very clearly in charge but in say you know societies that don't have a developed uh, either literacy or developed system of administrative titles we just end up referring to them all as dukes because they definitely are leading people and they don't necessarily have a you know a systematic sort of hierarchy of titles that we can use yeah so that's why we've had so many dukes this episode, is because all these people are just ambiguous, petty monarchs. <sighs> Sorry, I was getting a little mineral water there. Um, yeah. Um, well, I came to... So here, here's, here's how I was writing this. I was like on Wenceslaus's side early on, and then I started to see the logic of... Boleslaus's actions, and it's just this cold, harsh logic. And I under—I think I understood at least a little bit that that came from a deep-seated uh, distrust of the world that was in Drahamira, um, that she implanted in Boleslaus, and as opposed to the trusting and, you know, forgiving religion that is, or at least was largely in Christianity, at least compared to what they had before. Like, I know I can hear people out there, Oh, they were brutal too! Yeah, they were. They were. But the ethic was different. Um, so I was, I was struggling with this question of, like, was Wenceslaus taking care of his people, paying the tribute to just avoid bloodshed? Um, you know, even the legend about him you know, uh, going out to fight this guy one-on-one -on -one because he didn't want his men to have to die for a stupid cause. Um, I was confronted with this sort of moral dilemma of if you're distrustful of the world and you're a leader, you're probably more likely to be harshly, fiercely protective of that which you've been uh, essentially ordained to take care of. And if you're too merciful and somebody figures that out, uh, 
can you be taken advantage of? And the answer is, of course you can. But that was where the ethical struggle arose for me. I mean, clearly, Boleslaus might be considered a better king because of all the stuff he actually ended up doing, no matter how brutal. And he expanded Bohemia and aided in, you know, essentially reconquering the land that was constantly being fought over. You know, he established uh, relations with Poland and he expanded, you know, and eventually, you know, did become a, uh, you know, did repent of this murder that he did. But I'm just wondering if, if about this warrior monk thing. Is it, what is, what would a warrior monk actually look like in this situation? And I haven't been able to figure it out yet. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. Like, um, we didn't get into this just because it was, the time was already pretty, pretty long. But like, uh, Charles Martel actually had, um, some similar issues. Like, he had to, um, confiscate some church property in order to fund keeping that professional army that allowed him to, you know, beat back the Saracens. And so he right. actually had a lot of, um... It never ended, you know, he was always able to smooth things out, but, like, yeah, he actually had a lot of, sort of, conflicts with the church, despite being a Christian king. Hmm. Yeah, it's just, um... I don't know if it's about being... about knowing what hill to die on, you know? Like, what hill is worth dying on? You know, where do you sacrifice your principles for something like a greater good? Do you ever do that? Um... I don't know. That's one thing that I was thinking about a lot with this one. And it was hard for me to come down on a on a real side. And it makes me think that you just have to do the best you can because you know, it's like uh, it's like that meme that's been going around of like the one guy strapped to a railroad track and the, you get to choose where it diverts and the other side has like five people you don't know and the one guy you do know. Who do you rescue? There's no winning in that situation. Unless you can stop the train. But in a coldly logical situation such as that, it's either this or that. You know? The game was rigged from the start. <laughs> I thought the I thought of the two wolves inside you meme when I was talking about these brothers. Um and I was well, I was trying to negotiate a balance, but I I came up with nothing. I have no answers for the listener tonight. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, just, if, we, uh, if we came up with answers to philosophical questions, we'd have to remove the comedy hashtag when we post this. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Say something funny, damn it. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't have any jokes. <laughs> do you have anything funny? Um, no, no, not really. Um, I do love the song, though. It's always, it was always one of my favorite Christmas songs as a kid. Well, I'm going to put it at the end of the episode because I think it'll it'll have new meaning for anybody who worked their way through this very hard story. Um, yeah, no, especially because, you know, what it, what the song depicts is really what we talked about this episode with him just sort of being a bro to peasants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the that's the rabbit trail I went down for for the for good King Wenceslaus. And I'm really glad I did it because it's a cool story to know. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, they actually made a movie about it. Um I can't remember where, but it was the most expensive film in that country's history. 
Was uh, it the Czech Republic? Might have been. Does that mean that Probably. would just make sense? <laughs> yeah, I mean that would, but you never know with movies. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's I think that about does it for this one, and I think it's about time to head to the surface. What do you think? Uh, yep, I think so. Let's do it. George, what do you want to have for Christmas dinner this year? Oh, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a creature of both habit and tradition, so as far as I know, we'll be having the um, various traditional German things that we've had basically every Christmas of my life. Um, so yeah, probably uh, Roladen, which is the sort of uh, flat beef steak things that are rolled up with uh, onions and some spices and some other things then cooked in these little rolls. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, they are. Yeah, that's uh, we we've had the most Christmases in my life, and pretty much only on Christmas. Man, what a cool yep. tradition! Yeah. So, what about you? What are you gonna have for Christmas? Uh, I don't know. Usually, we do this, you know, boring ass like we have a ham or something. Um, but I think this year, what I really want is a good biscuit. <laughs> I know that's simple, but I am a simple man. Be a simple kind of man. Sorry, the the Leonard Skinner was coming out. Uh-oh. We better wrap this up before you go full Leonard. Probably, probably. Well. Uh, in that case, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. If you hate us, you're probably Hungarian. So consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. Or if Patreon is not your thing, drop us a little tip in Venmo. That's at WTADP. Our cover art was created by Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his wonderfully whimsical work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. And with all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of a king play you out.
Sie